This spoiler-filled podcast is recorded live, unscripted, and intended for those over 18. Now prepare your ears for the audio stimulation they've been waiting for all day as we step into the spoiler room. Fuck you, you bastard. (laughs) And fuck everybody. How are you? How are you doing today, everyone? (laughs) All you new listeners and everybody returning and anyone who cares out there, this is the spoiler room. I am your host, Mark the Movie Man, and tonight on our, our discussion ballot is... 80s apocalypse films. Why? Because, well, Interstellar does have an apocalypse theme to it, and I, I've been wanting to talk about these films for a while, so i got a great crew in the room tonight. First off, returning to the crew after a, uh, miss, missing him quite dearly is uh, Brad. Brad is back in the room. How are you doing tonight, sir? Oh, you, you actually noticed I was gone? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow! Well, it's good to be back. Well, we, we missed those comic book insights, if nothing else, sir. Uh, <laughs> and then, wow, uh, I feel sad for all of you. I really do. That's like the highlight of, of stuff. And, and we have also in the room again with us, Cole Meredith. Cole, how are you doing, sir? Marvelous. Very well. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing fine, especially now that we got this group in the room. Hell yeah. <laughs> and then we've got the one and only big friggin' deal himself, Mr. Glenn Bittner. How you doing, sir? Daddy would have gotten us Uzis. <laughs> <laughs> and returning to us, uh, the newer uh, member of the room, he's back with us. He was talking ho- uh, ho- Halloween horror films, and now he's back. Paul, how are you doing today, sir? I'm doing great. I feel like Wayne and Garth because you guys have, I've like listened to for like several weeks, several months, and it's God. like, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. Dear but you Lord, guys are man, you got to set a higher bar. <laughs> oh, I was going to say. That's how we got the third guy for Film Geek Central. <laughs> well, you know, in his defense, all he probably had was a whole bunch of political ads on TV, so what else are you going to listen to? A bunch of us sit here talk about films, right? <laughs> and finally, last but definitely not least, Mr. Scott Davis himself is here with us tonight. How are you doing today, Scott? Oh, that's lovely. Ah. Mark, I'm gravely disappointed. Again, you have made me unleash my dogs of war. (laughs) (laughs) Keep your dogs dogs on a leash there, Scott. We really don't want to see those those tonight. We're talking 80s apocalypse films. Yes, there have been apocalypse films since, but I don't think there's been a decade that spawned more apocalypse films than the 80s. I mean, if you just do a search in Google Chrome, you will find a plethora, a cornucopia of post-apocalyptic themed movies. I mean, it, you know, you're talking the 80s, the, the big red scare, the Cold War, nuclear war is on, you know, fears on the rise, and uh, I tell you, the B-movies really came out, and the whole post-apocalyptic thing was a really popular theme. So I asked everyone tonight to kind of bring a post-apocalyptic film they'd like to talk about. And we're going to start right off with Mr. Brad tonight, because he's got one that he mentioned uh, that I really want to talk about. So go ahead, Brad. So, you know, I really didn't get into like movie watching until I got a a VCR <laughs> back in my day 
<laughs> no, uh, I got a like a VCR in my house in like I don't know '87 or something like that, and I started to find movies like uh, you know True Gems, like Life Force, and uh, oh yeah, just really shitty movies. I'm not. Gonna... <laughs> um, but you know, one of them that uh, one of them was Hell Comes to Frogtown. Now, here's the thing. Your 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 main actor in this film is uh, okay, kids. Sit down, and Uncle Brad's going to tell you a story. Now, <laughs> the the World Wrestling Company, whatever you want to call it, that exists today, the WWE, was once named the WWF, the Worldwide Wrestling Federation. And much like your John Cena that you have now, and your uh, Rock that has now transitioned to cinema. You had Rowdy Roddy Piper. Yes, and that was awesome. <laughs> he's, he's an interesting dude, and he he will never do Shakespeare. <laughs> or if he does, he will never do it well. Um, but um, for for the time, I mean, he did. They live. I mean, yeah. hands down, if you think of any good sci-fi film that came out of the 80s, They Live will be on the top of that list. Gary. Oh, should be, man. Um, and he plays the main character in that. Now, now, now we have Hell Comes to Frogtown. Uh, <laughs> Hell Comes to Frogtown is not that movie. It's not... It's, <laughs> oh, it's something. And here's the deal. Basic, the, the basic premise of this movie is that uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper, who plays Sam Hell in this post-apocalyptic world where all the major governments just kind of went crazy and pushed all their buttons and uh, just blew up the world, essentially. Um, he's got, like, super peen where he can just, you know, <laughs> stick it inside of a woman and just make her pregnant. And... <laughs> the majority of of the males in this post-apocalyptic world have died in the war. Yeah. Or they've been rendered sterile. And, you know, bring in Super Peen Johnson here, and he can, you know, just make women pregnant. And right now there is a sort of a, a new type of cold, cold war in that they need to escalate, escalate their population so that they can finish this war finally. They're playing the long game, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Not going to lie there. They're playing the long game. <laughs> now, Sam Hill is not a good man, he's not a great man, but he's a man with a super peen, and he's been co-opted by the, the government that is left uh, in, the, in the, I guess, the, what's left of the United States, and his mission is to impregnate all the women that are able to bear children, because not just the men have been rendered sterile, but the women have too. Um, so he's been co-opted by the government to just bang a bunch of women and get them pregnant. Um, and, and, and that's kind of the deal. But the other side mission here is that a bunch of fertile women were actually captured by, and this is the best part, <laughs> these anthropomorphic frog-like beings. So in the process of this nuclear war, it mutated 
amphibians, frogs, <laughs> into humans in a relatively short period of time. Now, don't look at the plot hole here because <laughs> it's huge. It's huge. But so now Sam Hell has got to run this mission into Frogtown to free these fertile women, and then he's got to nail them and get them pregnant. Huh? Yeah. Oh, oh! you forgot about his chastity belt. Yes. Yes. That's the other thing, too, is he signs a contract with the government, and Superpeen is now owned by the government. (laughs) It is now a registered weapon with the government because it's going to be used to knock up all sorts of fertile women because they've got to win the war in population now. So, yeah. He's, he's got that. Ex- he's got an explosive, basically chastity belt that yes. he has to stay in range of another uh, uh, a female soldier played yes. by uh, Sandal Bergman. Yes, and Sandal Bergman is very interesting in that. Um, <laughs> in many ways. But. Well, she's one of those, and and I can't speak for the rest of y'all, but I can say that at this point that I saw this movie, I would have been like 17. Mm. Um, she made my parts tingle. I'm not, <laughs> not going to lie. Um, and I, she's not devastatingly beautiful in any way, shape, or form, I guess. She was badass, but though. There, but yes. Badass and, and earthy, yeah. Kind and, of and, really seemed down to, down to earth, but beautiful, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, her thing is, and, and what made her great for movies... One, she was a dancer. Mm-hmm. She was trained as a dancer. Two, she's also trained as a stunt woman. And she can act. Yes. So now you've got a very physically fit, physically adept person that they don't have to hire extra stunt people for to do things and can recite lines. Woohoo! And that's, <laughs> that's, and that's what you get here. But, you know, I, I don't want to besmirched what she's done because she was in Conan. Oh yeah, she was she was fantastic in Conan. I, I think she's an under underappreciated actress for I, I the do. time. Looking at now I mentioned Sandal Bergman, I mentioned Roddy Piper, and they've both done I mean we've just called up two movies that they've done that have been great movies that are unforgettable. The Arnold Schwarzenegger Conan film is huge. Yes. For sword and sorcery in the eighties, you, you Conan's on the top of your list. Um, it's just the material, and I mean, this is shot as a B movie. There's no oh, two yeah. ways about it. <laughs> it. The the amphibious creatures that you get are not Stan Winston issue. <laughs> they are paper mache heads at best, uh, with some you know some oil rubbed on them to make mm. them look sort of wet. Um, so yeah, this that that's that's the gem of post-apocalyptic. I could have brought Mad Max to the show. No, 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 no. <laughs> I brought Hell Comes to Frogtown. You're welcome. <laughs> Let's talk with the rest of the room. Uh, Cole, have you seen Hell Comes to Frogtown, sir? I have, man. It's a trip. I actually just saw it recently, and I enjoyed myself. My girlfriend was not too impressed. Uh, but did she not like the dance of the three snakes? <laughs> oh boy! You know, for my money, 
<laughs> if you want, it, I mean, and she's instructed, hey, you know, if you want to live, you got to get all three snakes. And she's like, what? And then she gets out there and, oh, the Emperor's he... got three wands worth of junk yeah. under his. What yeah. I, I can't even, I, was it a, a loincloth? I'm not sure it was if it was a robe like, that he was wearing. It was just weird. Just comes up and says, I'm not going anywhere near them things. Yeah. And, but, you know, the best thing, you know, if you're going to take out a guy who is aroused, as he was with penises, you get not one kick to the balls, you get three. Because <laughs> if one is good, three's got to be amazing. And that's what you get. So, Cole, your your girlfriend wasn't impressed, but you enjoyed it. Uh, no, I I enjoyed it though. I you know especially just the novelty of uh, Roddy Piper being in it and being a massive They Live uh, fan. I thought I'd never seen him in anything else other than a really 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 cheaply made action movies on Cinemax sure. as a teenager. So uh, I, I had a good time watching it. I really did. It was fun. It was a entertainment in its purest form. <laughs> it definitely is. Uh, Glenn, what about you, sir, in uh, Hell Comes to Frogtown? Oh, gosh, yes. <laughs> if, if, if the rodster, if the hot rod is in it, I... <laughs> My favorite wrestler. He's awesome. That, I think that's a lot of people's favorite wrestler. That man, he, there was very few people who could work a microphone like he could. And oh, when he started yeah. into acting, it was just hilarious. So when I saw it, I, I was the same way. I watched anything he was in because it was hot rod. You know? <laughs> it was like, Wait, when he started into acting, what did you think the wrestling was? Well, okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, let's not get into that discussion. Uh, but, so, so you you enjoyed Hell Comes to Frogtown as well, Glenn. <laughs> I did. A any favorite part in there for you, sir? Yeah, it's been a long since I watched it, but just the just the whole concept between his, uh, <laughs> you know, Roddy basically just going pregnant, pregnant, pretty much, you know, his yeah. ability. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, what about you, Paul? Have you seen the classic Hell Comes to Frogtown? I have not. I added it to my list. <laughs> oh, yeah. I got it. It's an hour and a half of your life. You're not going to get back, but you're going to enjoy <laughs> enjoy it in all of its ball-kicking glory. I'm, I'm looking at the cast list, and the, the names that they came up for the characters are amazing. I love Lo Looney Tunes, Commander Looney Tunes, Squid Lips, the poor doofus. <laughs> I, I, I like the name Sentinella. How about that one? There you go. Sounds, Sounds like, like a candle. Something. Yeah, <laughs> scare away mosquitoes. Exactly. <laughs> Sandal Bergman's name was Spangle. Spangle. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, she was in, we were talking about Freddy's Nightmares. She was in an episode or two. Yeah. In yeah, Freddy's Nightmares. yeah, she was. <laughs> and uh, Mr. Davis, uh, uh, words on Hell Comes to Frogtown? Well, I mean, you guys said it. It's, it's just a wonderful, I mean, if you love campy action uh, sci-fi comedies. I mean, this is one of the best. I own the DVD. I bought it twice, I think. It's it's great. And you know, here's the funny thing though. We um, all of us have been like laughing because, and rightfully so, because it is it's so weird and low budget <laughs> stuff. But 
This got a theatrical release from New yeah. World Pictures, yes. and it was undoubtedly the biggest budget director Donald G. Jackson ever worked with. Really? <laughs> if you've looked at his other things, he, this is not the only post-apocalyptic film he made. This guy made like a, about a dozen. I mean, he most of his movies were post-apocalyptic films, and, and but he his budgets kept getting shorter and shorter and shorter. So you had. <laughs> The Rollerblade movies, which are about a post-apocalyptic film about nuns who worship a happy oh, face. God. <laughs> there are there are technically four Frogtown movies. Technically, wow, really? There's technically four. Really, there's three because the third one got released in an unapproved cut first, and then it went to a director's <laughs> cut later on. Um, so you actually have one. You have Frogtown Two: Return to Frogtown. Uh, which is a semi-big budget, though uh, Roddy Roddy Piper isn't in it. Now it's Robert Zadar. No way! Wait, Robert, oh, the, man, the man who could rent his face out for billboards, yes. Uh, and you get and, the, uh, a different person playing Sp Doctor, uh, Spangle, too, don't you? Oh, you get a different person playing everybody. And, and at one point, they have to rescue Lou Ferrigno, who is slowly turning into a frog. <laughs> what? Great what? Great <laughs> Because don't forget, because of Luferigo's speech impediment, that means you do get to hear him say "whip it" in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> it is awesome. And after that, after that, you know, around the time that Donald G. Jackson passed away or something, they did the third movie or whatever. Max uh, from L. Frog Warrior. Mad Cell Frog Warrior, and it's also called Toad Warrior because there are two different cuts. Oh my god, I, how did I know about, I know about this? 2002. It is so cheap. It is so cheap. It is very cheap, and it is all, uh, it's done with Zen filmmaking, which is something Jackson and Scott Shaw came up with, which was you get the people together, you've, you're in a relocation, and then you just improvise everything. Everything <laughs> is improvised. Oh, hell, I'll watch it. It's got Joe Estevez in it. <laughs> Got Joe Estevez, a lot of Joe Estevez. Yeah, and he did like he was in like lots of um, uh, Jackson films, like uh, Roller Gator, which is almost unwatchable. <laughs> I love Donald G. Jackson. God rest his soul. And uh, Scott Shaw is a guy who's continuing that thing. But believe it or not, as much as we laugh and stuff, rightfully so, this is as coherent and big budget as Donald G. Jackson ever got. <laughs> With Hell Comes to Frogtown, the first Hell one? Hell Comes to Frogtown is as coherent and big budget. Everything else got a lot looser, a lot cheaper. Oh, he directed uh, Class of Newcomb High Part 2, Subhuman uh -huh. Meltdown. Nice. <laughs> well, he was additional director, they said. Additional director, yeah, it means he was on the set, and they said <laughs> uh, the other guys, other, other guys hung over. Don? Exactly. Sure. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> he just happened to wander on set. He thought this was another Frogtown movie. Uh, <laughs> He's the one who put the mutant squirrel in there. Yeah, there you go. Uh, so, Hell Comes to Frogtown, excellent first film to uh, start off this conversation. Thank you, Brad. And I think you gave the best synopsis I've ever heard of that movie. It's wonderful. <laughs> it's great, dude. That was great. That, that brought a tear to my eye. It really did. Well, I'm glad I could uh, make you cry. Uh, uh, and Cole, what movie did you bring uh, for us to discuss? You today? know, I was I was torn between my favorite and the best. So oh, okay. I think I'm going to go with the best. Uh, uh -huh. which I actually think is uh, the first of John Carpenter's 
Apocalypse Trilogy, he calls it, um, followed by Prince of Darkness and then In the Mouth of Madness. But his version of The Thing is, oh. some may not consider it an apocalypse movie, although it is, it was intended as such, is really the, the penultimate apocalypse movie of the 80s for me. Um, opening with a shot of the Earth and the, the ship breaking apart and you see it slowly go towards the planet you know nothing good is going to happen. And then that whole opening sequence with, uh, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing this right, Ennio Morricone, mm-hmm. his, his opening score there with, with the, oh, them chasing the dog over the snow for miles and that repetitive score that kind of sounds like a heartbeat, almost like a human heartbeat. It, it feels like the end of the world, and the movie <laughs> has not even started. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting to me about the movie, um, it's so hard to get serious after talking about Frog. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, well, I, I should be talking about Maximum Overdrive. I should have that up. But, yeah, uh, you could have gone with Maximum Overdrive. I, I, I almost well, did. Well, I almost let, did. We'll, let you, we'll let you slide with the thing, though. It's... it's <laughs> It's, it's, yeah, okay, well, apocalyptic. It is an thing. apocalyptic film. It is. If it's not post, it's happening. It's <laughs> yeah. happening. And what's interesting to me about the thing is, like, the breakdown of trust uh, between men, which many other people have tried after that and probably before that, but the fact that it's an all-male cast, I think it's really interesting to see the, the slow breakdown of, of these males who've been living with each other for a long time, a lot of them Vietnam vets. I know that's implied, mm-hmm. it's not stated, but it's definitely there. And, uh, I mean, Kurt Russell being a dead ringer for later days, Jim Morrison, is <laughs> really, really cool, I thought. And, man, that whole, that whole hopeless tone follows through the whole thing right up to the ending where uh, they're, they're having a drink, him and uh, Keith he David. Yeah, are sitting there, you know, and they both know that somebody's the thing. One of them is the thing. And there's just no way to trust each other anymore. There is absolutely no way for either of them to trust each other anymore. And they've completely accepted it. And all there is to do is have a drink. (laughs) Nowhere to go. Everything is burned. They're going to be dead very shortly. And they're just going to have a drink and see what happens. I loved how that movie ended. Yeah, you didn't get to find out. No, and I just that was the first time I realized in cinema, in American cinema, that you could do that, right. and it was okay. Because mm-hmm. you, know, we like to have our shit all tied up in a bow, and oh, that's what happened. No, mm-hmm. that that was the, but that was the horror of the thing at the end. You know, it's like these two people that have survived everything that you've come to like root for, one of them's the bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> and then you're done. Well, well, not only is one of them the bad guy, but this fits in with the apocalypse theme in that one of them's the bad guy and he's going to freeze but not completely die. Exactly. You know, you, you know he's going to freeze, somebody's going to find him, and yeah. it's going to start over and it's going to uh, spread. And for me, I actually, I just literally reviewed this on our Horror Thursday for We Live Film today. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, I yeah. just reviewed Still. it. Um, <laughs> so it's funny you brought that up, but for me, I mean, what I pointed out too is we're talking the 80s, we're talking the paranoia of communism, of who can you trust, and that is addressed so perfectly yeah. through using the alien 
uh, in this film to where all these guys who started off trusting each other, suddenly there's a little question of one's loyalty, and it just spreads to every single one of them, and you, you don't know. Plus, this movie just has freaking awesome practical effects. Uh, yeah. I think it got overlooked from the Academy. I mean, the, the practical effects in this film yeah. freaking rocked. Well, I think it's it's released <clears throat> coincided with ET, and it just is one of those political things. I think yeah. where it just it was well, just bad timing. But Rob Bottin, man, he worked himself into practically into his grave. Yeah. I, at one point, he ended up in the emergency room just from overwork. I mean, um, and I also want to before we move on mention Wilford Brimley. Yes, uh, <laughs> I think. That performance is so fun because at some point he becomes the thing. So just to watch how he plays it, I think the best story about that is they were having a really kind of a rough shoot during that time, and oh, really? Carpenter didn't feel like he was you know had everybody's that not everybody was given their best. And oh, wow. they, they shot the scene right before he like he exposes the fact that he's the thing. Mm-hmm. And he stops and he like points at Brimley. And he goes, "What are you thinking about right now?" Or while you're doing that performance, he's like, "I got to do my laundry right after this." And he's like, "And he gave an awesome performance." <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, I, love I, I became the thing because it's the right thing to do. Yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> of the diabetes. <laughs> we're never gonna grow old. We're never gonna die because we're aliens. Paul, what about you, sir? Any thoughts on the thing? Uh, I did. I I loved the claustrophobia. Uh, nature of the film where everyone just seemed like they were just in this like enclosed area of the uh, with the storm running outside and my favorite scene out of the entire movie was when they're all tied up and they were doing that test yes. just yes. imagine imagine being sitting right next to a guy that could be that thing and then suddenly it jumps up and goes ah! and everyone's like get 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 <laughs> What's great about that, too, is you not only have the threat of the thing, but you've got the threat of the weather constantly outside. I mean, adding that fact, I mean, if this was done in the tropics, you'd have less of a threat, but the fact that if they go outside, they could die, much less, you know, be inside with the thing. You've got to choose your poison. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, man. Glenn, uh, what would you think of the thing? If you had women in the cast, it would have thrown... If you had put sexual tension into this... It would have been a completely different film, hence the remake, you know. Yeah. Why the remake slash sequel, yeah. yeah. You, just, you, you need the male bonding that slowly breaks down. And I think that's a lot of the charm of this is, you know, I think male bonding can be just as good as, I mean, it's kind of downplayed in, in politically nowadays, but male bonding rocks. Old-fashioned male bonding, you know, I, maybe it's that I grew up, Around bars, not in bars, but around the culture. <laughs> I tell you, I'm from Wisconsin. What can I say? But there you go. yeah, <laughs> just a well, bunch of men love each other like brothers, and there's a monster, and it never looks like one monster. That's another thing in this movie is there's not one face you can pin it on, which is the opposite of what some people consider Carpenter's, you know, penultimate film, Halloween. I actually think this is Carpenter's penultimate film. I think yeah. this, this, yeah, is, this is Carpenter's signature movie. 
Sure. Um, I love. I think it's flawless. I love it, man. The 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 way to to kind of add to your point, um, if it, I think if you would have had. The, like female cast members uh, as a part of that. I think yeah. one at that point in time, it wasn't a mindset that women could hang out with guys in the north for long periods of time. I mean, you know, women in the military. I think at that time were not really that big of a thing either. Yeah, um, it was it was frowned upon. But two, I think it kept focus. Oh yeah, it, it, yeah. It, it didn't add an element. It was it was unnecessary to the story. It would have yeah. added, and or it would have been ignored, and people would have went, eh, "Well, what about why didn't they screw her? Or, you know, <laughs> why didn't teeth come out of her vagina or whatever?" I mean, it, didn't, it, it kept the focus. And, it's a completely different what, film. Yeah, <laughs> but it has happened. The um, well, you know, re- remember John Carpenter? Uh, we all go back to like the like the films that he would have loved, and of course comes from, you know, the thing. It's a remake of the thing from another world and stuff, which is different and such. But, you know, we also got to remember, one of the films he always was remaking was Rio Bravo. Yeah. Um, He was, like, a huge fan of Howard Hawks and John Ford, and if you look at Rio Bravo, one of the greatest films ever, yeah, there's a love story in there, but it is completely separate Mm -hmm. from the actual core thing, which are these three guys, you know, and the drunk and the old guy there, I keep forgetting about him. I guess four guys, uh, but the, these four guys like just trying to trust one another and build up this trust. And he's done that over and over again. He did it in Assault on Precinct Thirteen. He did it in yes. Vampires. He did it in um, uh, the Escape from New York movies. Both of them, you know, uh, it's it's really is like constantly that Howard Hawks model. That yeah. He, very honest about, and that's all about male bonding, and those are very machismo films without being a real dickish machismo thing. No, no. would get lost today. You know, because nowadays you think about that, you think about these, you know, asshats who are, like, pushing women around. It's not like that at all. It was just a completely different venue, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely, man. Glenn, I tried tried to get your uh, thoughts real quick on the thing. Uh, Anything to add to this film? Uh, For you, anything memorable? uh... Um, Well, the movie itself is memorable. Right. But I would recommend anyone that has seen this movie get the DVD commentary and watch and listen to yes. the commentary. Oh, Absolutely great. not to be missed. Mm-hmm. It is it is such a blast, especially when, when you get towards the end of the movie and they're tossing around dynamite. <laughs> you can hear about what they were using because of budget cuts. That the explosives were a little more explosive than they should have been. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, and I've got the Blu-ray. I don't know if you guys got the Blu-ray, but the thing cleans yeah. up... Fantastic. Yes. Yeah, it does. I got I, it. I watched I, it on the Blu-ray. Hadn't, I had the Blu-ray for a while, hadn't put it in. I popped it in, and I was like, holy, this looks like it was shot yesterday. <laughs> I mean, it, yeah. it, it, it is that clean. They did a really good restore on it. But, yeah, the DVD had a great commentary. I think that same one's on the Blu-ray. I don't know if they did another one for the Blu-ray, but... I think it's the same one. I'm not positive. I think Probably it's the, the same, same one. one. 
It's got to be better. If you guys ever listen to the commentary for uh, Big Trouble in Little China... They're uh, talking about their kids! <laughs> it's hilarious! Yeah. I, love, I love the commentary for Big Trouble in Little China because uh, Carpenter and Russell hadn't seen each other for like a year or they hadn't talked much. And so they got together because they pulled them together for the Blu-ray and about halfway through the film, they stopped talking about the movie and started going, what have you been up to lately, John? And John's like, oh, my kids, you know, and Kurt Russell's like, how are your kids doing? <laughs> I love I love the chemistry between Carpenter and Russell. Definitely two guys that work well together. And this film, man, it blows me away every time I see it. I, I yeah. love I love every minute of it. It is a must see for every horror fan. Uh it does have apocalypse themes, but just just in general. And you know, they didn't need that prequel. They, they, the reason, uh, you know, I, I didn't mind the prequel. Don't get me wrong. I actually didn't mind it. It was not. I actually it was, sort of liked it. It just does not compare. Right. All. It, it was better. It was better than I thought it would be. I just thought it was unnecessary because part of the cool creepiness of the alien is when they go to that camp that we now know the story behind. But not knowing the story behind it added a whole other level of just creepiness and unknown to the alien, so that made it even scarier because you weren't quite sure why this guy off himself and what is this pile of whatever set fire in the square at the Swedish camp, you know? Mm -hmm. And that unknown, I think, really helped add to the creepy of the alien because you never get a full explanation ever of what its intent, what it actually is. It's just, you know, it could very well just be a beast that's just trying to survive. So, you know, by doing that prequel, I think it took just a little bit away, but this is a classic. As anyone can tell, we all love this film dearly because it is just one of those uh, films that are a must-see. Because And with the practical effects, really, it stands the test. You, you look it at really it. It really does. Yeah, with man. the practical effects, it does, it's hard to date this film yeah. with those practical effects. I think if you had CGI in there, you could date it easier, but with those practical effects, you could have made it yesterday. Uh, it looks that good, especially on the Blu-ray. So excellent choice there, Mr. Cole. Thanks, man. And, and Glenn, let's go to yours, sir. What what post-apocalyptic oh film out of the many that all of us have seen, which one did you bring that you wanted to talk about? Well, did, did I go for one of the obvious, you know, with Mad Max Road Warrior? Uh, <laughs> I did. Did I go for... Did I go for when Treadwell met Johnson, Cherry 2000? No. Oh, yes. No. Did I go for roller skating kids in the desert with solar babies? No. <laughs> no. Did, I, did I decide maybe Sondell Bergman and she? No. Mm, no. no. <laughs> did I go for the double-bearded power of Patrick Swayze and Brian James and Steel Dawn? No. No. <laughs> I, went, I went for... Is the feather in the cap of uh, classic film and television actor Rory Calhoun's cap? Rollerblade Warriors taken by force. I haven't oh. seen it. Oh man! <laughs> it's one of the Jackson films. I haven't seen it. <laughs> Tell us about this film, man. Oh my gosh! It's it's about a warrior nun who is with her her you know basically warrior nun buddies who roller skate through the apocalyptic wasteland. Uh, it is yes. They're dre they're dressed like you know like you know. They're dressed like strippers, wearing roller skates. So they call them rollerblade warriors, even though they wear roller skates. But 
we won't nitpick. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, they, they have to rescue the seer who's going to be sacrificed by this band of mutants. It is so laughably bad oh my God. that it's still... What's, what's it called? Rollerblade Warriors. I'm going to write this colon, down. Rollerblade colon, taken by force. Would you like to right, tell him why it was colon? <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, do you want to tell him why? Because what? there was a lot of these movies. <laughs> you know, this movie was originally called Power Blade Warrior mm. by Force. Wow. I'm, yes. I'm pulling this up now. Holy cats. I, why um, have I not seen this? 1989. Is it spawned a sequel? Oh, did it really? <laughs> now I'm going to go a little bit out of the 80s to 92 because we had Return of the Rollerblade 7. <laughs> which, now, the, the, the biggest star in original Rollerblade Warriors would have been uh, Elizabeth Katane, or, or not Katane, uh, Kinmont. Kinmont. Who, uh, if you ever watch the TV yeah. series, Renegade. She oh, was, Kevin Kinmont, yeah. She, she uh, was Renegade, along yeah. with a bunch of other stuff. Um, but she was the biggest star in that. In the sequel, they got uh, Karen Black, they got Frank Stallone, <laughs> they got Joe Estevez. <laughs> oh, my God. I love Joe Estevez. He's in everything. <laughs> yeah, and you get all three of them in this in this one. That's it's great. Just amazing. Oh, and Scott Shaw. If anyone knows who Scott Shaw is, yeah, Scott Shaw. Yes, <laughs> shows up again. Wow. It's Donald G. Jackson again. It's the same guy who did Frogtown. Yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah. Frogtown movies is Rollerblade movies. Yeah. If, if you look it up on IMDb, folks, you actually have to put in the full title: Rollerblade Warriors Taken by Force, or it will not show up. All right, all right. If you just search Rollerblade Warriors, it will not show up. Oh, wait, no, I'm sorry. There was, there, was also, there was also the Rollerblade 7. Ah. So, yes, he did a whole bunch of these Rollerblade, rollerblade people movies. And the Hateful Eight. It was Rollerblade 7, Return of the Rollerblade 7, Legend of the Rollerblade 7. This movie came before those. Yes. And before this was the uh, thing I was briefly talked about. I'm glad I didn't go into details because I didn't want to step on Glenn's awesome pick here, but then before that there was the first Rollerblade, which again, yes. was not on Rollerblades, it was on Roller Skates. Oh, And, and Kathleen Kinmont was in uh, the uh, Reanimator 2. Uh, yeah, she was the bride of Reanimator, yeah. yeah. She was the bride, yeah. Yeah. Great film. Yes. Wow. Go forth now and skate the path of righteousness. <laughs> yes, they talk now, now, Glenn, I haven't. I'm, I'm serious. I even though I have talked about loving Donald E. Jack stuff, believe it or not, I've only seen the first Rollerblade film, so I haven't seen this one yet. Even though I've got it here wow. and I'm waiting to watch it, um, do they speak in the old English? Because in the first one, they did. Like, uh, no, not really. I mean, I, if I remember right, little bits here and there. It's been a while since I've watched this one because I can't track it down. <laughs> yeah, I, I I have to tell you, I had to find an old VHS rip because I couldn't find it either. Yeah, I I, I can't even, I can't even find you know a torrent of it to actually just I just like it's not available anywhere. Yeah, like I said, it's what I <laughs> wow. The, 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 cinema, old, the, the first one, 
world does not want this film to exist. <laughs> the first one they talked in this old English, like, yay, verily, and stuff like this, and there were these nuns that worshipped the Have a Nice Day face and carried switchblades. But no, the great thing is, is that there's a kid in the first rollerblade. Again, this is not Glenn's pick because I haven't had a chance to see it yet. I want to see it so bad. Um, but uh, there's a kid in there, and the kid was played by Chris Olin Ray, the son of Fred Olin Ray. Oh, wow. And oh. Who went on, who's gone on to direct like movies and stuff. And, of course, now Chris Olin Ray is, like, I'm sure some of you guys, is like a Facebook friend and stuff like that. And I remember noting earlier this year that I said, I'm going to give this one another watch, and it was Rollerblade. I said, look at this, Chris Olin Ray's in it. And Chris Olin Ray actually responded and said, don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, because you that all the all the dialogue it was a bad, it's a bad movie. All the dialogue is dubbed by other people, and yes, Chris Owen Ray is dubbed by a woman who is obviously about forty years old. <laughs> <laughs> gentlemen, gentlemen, go to the chat uh, real quick. I know our view our listeners can't listen to this, but uh, go to the chat. There's a link below the IMDb one. Amazon has Rollerblade Warriors Kathleen Kinmont. Oh, twenty four ninety five on DVD. It is in stock. What? How did oh, that? Is that a DVDR? Where'd that come from? I have no oh. idea. <laughs> or if you want to go really ballsy, you can drop forty six bucks and get the Rollerblade Seven trilogy. <laughs> <laughs> well, why wouldn't you? And it actually, you know, I'll bet you this comes from uh, Scott Shaw's own own uh, st- own uh, production because if you look at the three pack, it actually has the last names. Oh, it's you- Shaw. Stallone. Oh my God! That Hawk Warrior of the Wheel Zone. <laughs> yeah, and Rollerblade oh Warriors. Oh And if you like the instant oh video, Rollerblade Warriors Taken by Force is on Amazon Instant Video. I feel that there is going to be a review in the future of this. Oh my God. <laughs> oh, man. This, yeah, this stuff has moviocrity. Looking at the cover of this thing, it looks like a visual punch in the ball. <laughs> Actually, it looks like a Rod Stewart video. <laughs> oh. I mean, you know, that, that leather is just jammed right up in there. That's uncomfortable. How do you fight in that? So funny because, you know, I haven't seen these movies, but I did use footage from one of the Rollerblade Warriors movies for in my first episode of Moviocrity. Glenn, Glenn's, ordering, Glenn's ordering it right now. Uh, <laughs> it's like typing. That's ama- That's an amazing choice. That is oh my god! Great, that is I'm, so, I'm so excited right now. <laughs> I really am. That was a great pick there, Glenn. Uh, you, can, you can thank Rhonda from USA. Oh, oh, oh Rhonda's here. Yeah. Yes. yes. Oh, Rhonda. She she really yeah she really dumb. Broken all of us with all these great cult classic films. <laughs> Rollerblade Warriors, twenty four ninety five for anyone interested on Amazon. Watch their sales suddenly jump on this. <laughs> Poor Amazon guy in the warehouse is going to go into some back corner and dust it off. Who's <laughs> purchasing this crap? Is what he's saying. 
<laughs> we were going to put this in the junk pile, and I've sold five copies. What the hell? <laughs> so, wow. excellent, excellent. Definitely an apocalyptic film that needs to be watched by everyone. <laughs> Oh, wow. So, Paul! <laughs> I don't know if I can top that one, <laughs> but I'm going to try. Sure, um, I'm cheating a little bit. Uh, mine actually have, takes place uh, 31 years after uh, World War III. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's fine. It's post. <laughs> it's <laughs> post-apocalyptic. It's post. But they kind of rebuilt it, mm-hmm. uh, rebuilt the city that it uh, plays in, but it's, it is also a cartoon. It's a... Uh, oh. 1988's Akira. Oh, nice. Yeah. Now, basically, the movie starts out with the destruction of Tokyo, which does uh, invariably cause World War III. And then 31 years later, we like fast forward it and we get to Neo Tokyo, which is kind of built on a landfill <laughs> in Tokyo <laughs> Bay. Why not, right? Uh, but I, I think what I really liked about this movie is it, it introduced um, uh, manga and anime to a lot of the people that are in the Western world. Um, you know, as much as, like, people say that Pokemon was their first, yeah. I think Akira was, like, really the first for me. Uh, I just love the, the the visuals and the soundtrack. Uh, they had that, that hypertone that the, the composer was playing around with. So I really want to get a good sound system one day and, and just really play what that hypertone is so that <laughs> supposedly it's supposed to affect you even though you can't hear it. <laughs> I want to be affected by this movie bad. <laughs> now, Akira, Akira, you're right. It it did introduce a lot of people who weren't aware of that type of animation to them. And not only that, but it introduced the idea. I mean, we had it before, but I don't think it was done with the... It was Most adult animation type films were kind of considered, I think, in my opinion, I may be off, but you guys... Uh, can throw me against the wind on it, but uh, I think most of the uh, mature animation films up until that point were considered like art house type animation, like kind of obscure animation. Akira is the first, I think, one of the first mature animated films that people saw could be a bigger budget, for lack of a better term, a better quality movie, a serious movie that actually, you know, had a solid narrative, a serious narrative to it, and wasn't just Fritz the Cat, or wasn't just some weird artsy animation, you know, with a Coke bottle with dinosaurs coming out of it, and if you had, uh, I think it was called Allegro Non Tropo, um, you know, stuff like that, so this one, I think, I love it, I I love Akira, it took me a while uh, to see it, but I remember being blown away by it, going, "Wow, you know, what else is out there like it?" I mean, what about you guys, uh, uh, Brad? Or I, I think, like for me, the first movie that I saw that would be quote unquote like adult animation, or at least adult themed, not porn, but right. you know, adult themed, was actually Bakshi's Lord of the Rings. Oh yeah, okay. Um, mm-hmm. Now, and the only reason why I'm mentioning this is. At the time, I thought, oh, well, you've got you know the rotoscope, that different bit there. Maybe that's what makes it adult. And then I saw Akira a little while later, and it was like, no, it was actually taking the medium seriously and writing a good story that told themes that adults would understand and didn't matter what 
medium was being used to tell it, but they chose to use this animation style that to me had been, you know, like the real Ghostbusters or, you know, I'm dating myself <laughs> here, but, you know, just reserved for children. Sure. And it, it was it was really eye-opening mm-hmm. um, and, and, and disturbing. I mean, yeah. it's a the first time I saw, like, uh, was it uh, Kaneda start freaking out and... <laughs> You know, and he's like, all of a sudden, his biological point, like his arm shoots out, and it's like a mile long, and it just it was it's Tetsuo. It's, Tetsuo was the guy that it was Tetsuo. I, yeah. yeah, and it was just so creepy and disgusting, and I'm like, wow, you can actually do that with animation. That's so cool. <laughs> so yeah, Akira is a is a great film. Uh, Glenn, any thoughts on Akira? I'm sorry, I got distracted because I found Rollerblade Warriors online in <laughs> <laughs> uh, No, Akira's brilliant. Uh, it's it's probably one of one of my all-time favorite animes. It's actually the film that actually first got me into anime. Mm-hmm. Um, just a brilliant film all around, if yeah. you watch the real version. Mm. <laughs> yeah, the real version, not the... Uh... <laughs> not Canada. Not um, Canada. <laughs> Yeah, there there are a couple different versions. If you can see the original version, it's uh, definitely better. Uh, yeah, as, as far as like apocalyptic type anime yeah. goes, yeah, oh, yeah. this one and Fist of the North Star are probably my two favorites. Mm-hmm. The best scene that I liked about it was the the motorcycle scene when they're chasing the clowns. And, right. You know, uh, Tetsuo basically uh, does this like really vicious, violent act against one of the clown things, and then the next scene he he smashes into one of the espers. And that was just to me. It was amazing to watch the the lights and the the energy of that that scene in a cartoon was just like way beyond me yeah. when, at that age. Sure, sure. Uh, it has a lot of kinetic energy throughout that film. Uh, it, it's it's fast paced. That's for sure. <laughs> um, uh, Glenn, um, excuse me, uh, Scott. What about you, sir? Well, I'm kind of the um, on the other way around. I think it's a masterpiece. I love it. It's uh, but um, here's the thing: is that I did grow up with some Japanese animation, even though I wasn't quite aware is that what it, that's what it was. You're talking about dating yourself. I remember watching uh, Battle of the Planets yeah. uh, and uh, Star Blazers as a kid. Like those were the ones I loved. Cause, like because all you had to do was like put something in space, and I was like, yay, loving it. Um, but I was, and I was always intrigued by this idea about animation being for adults. You know, I'd heard of the movie Heavy Metal, but you couldn't see Heavy Metal. It wasn't on yeah. VHS or anything. Yeah. Uh, for the longest time, it wasn't on VHS or anything. The only um, real adult animated film I had seen up to that point was Rock and Rule, which I still love to this day. <laughs> it's amazing. Oh my gosh! You just when when I met Steve Biro and he said, "Yeah, we got the rights to rock and roll." I almost kissed the guy on the lips, man. He's like, <laughs> he couldn't believe how much I freaked out over that movie. He like sent it to me sealed with like a as like a gift as soon as it came out. He says, "I just couldn't believe how much you freaked out over this here." <laughs> anyway, that's not getting off the point. I'm sorry, but I mean, so Akira, I'd heard about you know, and I'd heard about the 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 comics and stuff. Um, I saw it. I was amazed. This is the film that people who don't like anime even like this movie. Yes. (laughs) I can tell you that because, believe it or not, I'm actually, even though I grew up with this other stuff, I actually don't like anime that much. Uh A few times a year, I will say, this sounds really interesting. I'm going to give this a shot. And it just, I just, 
I try so hard. I just can't get into it. I can probably like, I mean, I can only get, I get into like about ten percent of it, and the other ninety percent of it, I just like, oh, it's just not for me. But this movie like actually transcends, you know, the 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 era it was made in, the culture it was made in, the genre, the format. It transcends everything. It wouldn't. I mean, it's beautiful as an animated film, but it would be beautiful as any kind of film because yeah. it's just a fantastic movie, you know. So definitely. So uh, Akira, excellent choice there, Paul. Uh, I like. I enjoyed it myself. It was one for me that introduced me really to uh, the anime style. Although I also was a big fan of Robotech, so. <laughs> oh, I, oh, and Robotech! I watch that every day too. Yeah. I, I remember, I, I remember Robotech because Robotech had a the first thing I ever saw, uh, the first time I ever saw uh, a death in an animated film was in Robotech, uh-huh. and, and it, you know it had me looking for keeping an eye out for others, and then I saw Akira, and I was like, holy. You know, this is amazing, but I remember that because in Robotech, I think it was one of the finales they had, uh, they had a nuclear, uh, the the Zentradi or whatever, just nuke the planet, and they've got a soldier handing a little girl a flower, and you see the shockwave come and obliterate her, and I was like, oh my god, you can do that with an animated film because, you know... In U.S., you really hadn't seen anything up until then. So when I saw that, I was like, holy crap, <laughs> you know? And then you, you get a cure, and it's just like, yeah, you know, animation doesn't have to be just for kids. And uh, Akira is definitely a classic. I've been talking many, many years of doing a live action, I do believe. I don't know how far they've gotten with it, but they have talked about it. But I don't think it'll be quite as special as the uh, no. animated version, really. Um, they those usually don't translate fairly well <laughs> to animated. I'm talking about you, Guyver and Mark Hamill. Anyway, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, in, in the in the group chat, I put a link to the uh, the Akira project, which uh, they did create a live action trailer. It's a fan fan source. Oh yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, beautiful. It's beautiful. It if oh, Hollywood could, could do movie. that movie. That would be awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> of course, they, they never will, but yeah, those fan-made trailers usually are better than anything production ever came out of the studio. So, uh, and finally, Mr. Movieocrity, uh, what apocalyptic film did you bring to the table today? Well, I actually warned Mark about this. This might be easy or might be hard, but uh, I didn't. Uh, wow. <laughs> So many of the films that I love in the post-apocalyptic thing um, all blend together in just like this really poorly dubbed casserole of <laughs> and and giant plastic shoulder pads and uh, stock footage of Bikini Island like and everything like that. It's all kind of together. It's basically in the 1980s. When you wanted to find knockoffs, and it seems like that. I mean, and when I think of post-apocalyptic, a lot of time things I think of are all the Mad Max knockoffs. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm. That's what I'm just gonna generally say is the Mad Max knockoffs. Uh, you think of all these things, and the greatest knockoffs came from either Italy or the Philippines. And it was the same thing with here. Uh, every every great Filipino ag- exploitation director working that day made some sort of post-apocalyptic film. You had Lucio Fulci did one. You had uh, Enzo Castellari did one. You had uh, Joe D'Amato did a bunch of them. You know, you had a lot of people doing them. 
And there were so many great ones. I didn't even get to watch all the ones I wanted. I rewatched, I think, I we watched 20, 2020 Texas Gladiators for the fifth time last week. <laughs> uh, I watched Final Executioner, and I love, so I love all those Italian knockoffs because they were so cheap. And but I just love every single one of them. And uh, then I also love the ones coming out of the Philippines, mostly by Sirio Santiago, uh, and who, which, who was often working for Corman when he would do films like Wheels of Fire and Striker. These are great drive-in flicks. Uh, the only specific film I'm going to mention, because it does not fit into either of those two categories of like Philippines or I Italy, was one that was made in, I think it was Idaho. <laughs> and, and the only I'm mentioning this is that it, I mean it's not better necessarily better than the other ones, but it kind of fits with the same thing, and it has a weird sense of humor to it and everything. And it's called Empire of Ash. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Very cool. Brought out Glenn's Kool Aid. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Empire of Ash is great. It's got um. Oh, God, was her name? Melanie Kilgore, I want to say, is her name. Was yep. yeah. in the lead. And uh, William Smith was in there. And it had, like, these people. It wasn't a desert. It was, like, it was either Iowa or I think I want to say Idaho or Ohio, mm -hmm. one of, some one of the O states, you know? <laughs> uh, yeah, know that's, the, that's the same guy that brought us Idaho, Time Runner. Yeah. Brought Sorry? us what? That's the same guy that brought us Time Runner with Mark Hamill. Oh. Yes. Mm, yeah, and and he's since uh, brought us a lot of movies about bondage. Yeah. <laughs> he does a lot of. That's like his. That's like he found his gravy train. Like, okay, tie him up. Cool. <laughs> but he did this movie, and it's so it's so great. I'm going to because you have these really bad road war type things, but they're going down these country roads, and they have <laughs> weird senses of humor and everything. Uh, and there are. Two movies. I say, even though, you will, if you look, you will see an Empire of Ash, an Empire of Ash 2, and an Empire of Ash 3. <laughs> what do I mean? There's two movies. Let me tell you about how great of an exploitation F you to the audience this was. Empire of Ash did okay enough in home video that about a year later, they released Empire of Ash 2 to home video. And anybody who took it home saw the title screen say Empire of Ash 2, but the movie was Empire of Ash 1 all over again. <laughs> what a, what a, I mean, you can get pissed off if you want to, but kind of part of you has to go, holy shit, the ball on these people. <laughs> wow. Later on, they, later on, they actually did do an Empire of Ash 3, which is also called Last of the Warriors. Uh, and it's a, it says, I am going to spoil one thing because this has one of my favorite endings to any movie ever. Uh, they they have like these really cheap kind of weapons that they're always trying to use in the movies. And the bad guys, like the one guy has this thing where you put a helmet on and he has missiles that launch from the helmet on his head, <laughs> and it looks even cheaper than it sounds. And this movie ends, even though I think they do eventually use that weapon in the in. Empire of Ash 3, this is the last shot of Empire of Ash, so I'm sorry if I'm going to spoil this guys for guys up there, uh, but the last shot is the, the heroes are ready to make it, and then the guy, uh, one of the villains comes out, he has the helmet on, he's doing it, and it's having trouble firing, and he's looking up, he looks at it, kind of 
looks at the thing like kind of in disgust, throws it down, just says, hell with it, and walks away. <laughs> Credits. That's <laughs> It's the most amazing, wonderful thing. I'm like, I love it that the movie ended not with not with a victory or a defeat, but of the of one of the villains saying, I've got the jump on him. What? Oh, piece of shit. Fuck it. And... <laughs> Wow! It's wonderful. It's I couldn't believe seeing that in a movie. It just it changed my life. <laughs> well, I, I hope everybody's writing these down. <laughs> these are great movies. You can just find them all. They're great. Here, I'm gonna actually give you a YouTube link to the first Empire of Ash that I was reading. Because I, mean, I don't think you can get it on DVD right now. Um, uh, never, let, never let it be said the spoiler room doesn't bring you movies you haven't heard there of. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> we we definitely. And then there and then Glenn just and Glenn just added the thing to. Yes. <laughs> God bless. God bless you, sir. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, everybody. Uh, and has anyone else uh, got any weigh-ins on this movie of Empire Ash? Besides? I have never seen it. Nope. Yeah, I'm here. Yeah, me me neither, unfortunately. But, Anybody uh, else? Yeah, I don't, don't think a lot of people have seen it. Uh, I will. Hey, I definitely is. will. Glenn. <laughs> Scott one stumped the band. Good on you. It's been so long since I've seen this. Sure. My, my friend had it on, like, a... Ripped VHS copy, <laughs> ripped off a VHS copy that was ripped off another VHS copy. Yeah, man. It's probably starting on Betamax. Those are great. Five generation rip. Screw you, Torrance. That was the original way you shared movies. Two VHS. I think I spent and... half the movie doing the tracking. <laughs> <laughs> If you, you don't know what tracking is, folks, look it up. Uh, <laughs> it's, it, it's just one of the, it was let's just let's just say it was the buffering of our day and age. <laughs> Instead of refreshing the screen because the audio and the video weren't syncing up, you you turned the little tracking knob. Yep. <laughs> oh, for me, ah, you know, a, a number of great ones come to mind for it. You know, uh, unfortunately, some of them are from the 70s, like uh, Damnation Alley. Uh, uh, you know, Damnation Alley. Uh, still one of those earlier uh, post-apocalyptic wow. films. And then, uh, you know, you had Soylent Green as well, uh, older mm -hmm. films. But for me, one of the fun ones, uh, you could talk Escape from New York, but we've talked Carpenter already. I want to talk about Robot Jocks. Oh my oh. god! There it is. Oh, Mark, you the man. Crash and burn, Mark. Crash and burn. <laughs> say that I have taste in anything. I want to talk about robot jocks. Brought to us from the guy who brought us Reanimator. Yeah, Stuart Gordon. <laughs> Stuart Gordon, who also did a number of, uh, I mean, he did Space Truckers, he did Fortress with... Uh, From Beyond, I think? Yeah, well. he did From Beyond as well, Pit and a Pendulum, he did all these. So, 
in the middle of all of this is Robot Jocks, direct-to-video film that I remember seeing the trailer for on front of some other VHS. And all I remember from it was they, they had robots, which looked great. But then... <laughs> But then you had uh, one of the main characters. Oh, uh, who was that? Um, I forgot. He was like the poor man's. Uh, God, what is his name? All I remember is he he stood. He's standing on the ground and he goes, "I'm going to get this robot and I'm going to kick your." And they would cut the trailer so he wouldn't say ass because, <laughs> because that was the big thing back then. Was the, the was, was Achilles? I know that. So. Oh, Gary Graham. That's his name. Yeah. yeah, Gary Graham because he went on to do uh, some alienation. Yeah, yep. that's why I kept thinking of him. Uh, that was him, actually. Yeah, Gary Graham. Uh, he was he he was hilarious in that. But this film is just so cheesy. But you gotta give him heart. This is back before Asylum Pictures. This is back. I mean, MGM put this out, and this film is just fun. I mean, the the special effects. For what they do, I mean, we're talking a U.S. low-budget film, and they're doing fun robot fights in this film, you know? <laughs> and you got, you got some great names in here, like Athena and Achilles and Dr. Matsumoto. <laughs> you know, it takes place after World Tex War III. Conway. Yes, yeah. Tex, Tex Conway. But it takes place after World War Three, and war is outlawed. But so the way they take care of conflicts is uh, they have large robots that do the matches for them. I love this concept. It, it's superpowers. You know, it's a rock'em stock of robots with superpowers. Uh, you know, <laughs> among the nations. And so you've got the main character Achilles, who's the pilot of one of the large. Uh, robots, and he has a match for the state of Alaska. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay if you lose that one. <laughs> <laughs> you fight for the state of Alaska. And if you think about when this was made, we're talking you know, late 80s, this is in tail end, but you still kind of had that Russian scares, so Alaska was the key point, you know, if you think about it, because that it got you closer great, to yeah. Russia. So, and, and you know what? Sarah Palin can see robots from her house. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I had to. You had to, didn't you? Boo! But I, I just remember the special effects in this, and, you know, they, they had some great stuff in here. I mean, they had a lot of practical, like, robot hands and stuff that the guys would climb on and uh, you know just for a low budget film direct to video of this nature I give them total props for pulling this off because it, it's just a lot of cheesy fun uh, you know <laughs> and, uh, it, it just is I, I, I like it I, I don't know what you guys think of robot jocks but I mean it, it's it's campy I know but Hey, what do you guys? Any guys have any feelings on robot jocks at all? Well, when when this film, uh, when uh, Real Steel came out, I thought that they were remaking this film originally. <laughs> yeah. I'm not disappointed to find out the same thing. What? You thought the same thing? <laughs> I did. I I did too, actually. I saw that. I'm like. Hey, oh, they're going to remake is some is Robot Jackson. See, now there's a film that could get remade today and look even better. Is oh. Robot Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think this it's worth knowing.
Tony, it's you know it's Stuart Gordon, and he always takes risks. I mean, if you look at Reanimator and From Beyond, yeah. there are scenes in both those movies that really you. How in the fuck did he get this by anybody? I mean, the head, <laughs> head. I mean, really, if you think about a sequence like that in Reanimator, or many of the, many much of the stuff in From Beyond, it could not get made nowadays and get no. released in the theater. And what's interesting to me, Mark, is you say this is direct to video. And I could be wrong, mm -hmm. but this this hit theaters, man. And I have this. Really? Oh, oh yeah, I didn't remember oh, the theaters. theaters. Hit the theaters. In fact, uh, as did Texas Chainsaw: The Next Generation, which I saw in a theater. Oh God! This this was in theaters, and it was very limited. I think it was right on the bridge of direct to video, so they didn't know how to politically handle it and and it, so they just threw it out in the minimal number of theaters possible mm -hmm. to contractually fulfill whatever obligation they had but Stuart Gordon fought a long hard war for his final cut and ultimately yeah. lost but right. it was meant to be much more demented and much more sinister as to where the studio obviously wanted their I guess what was a PG-13 cut I'm not sure what it was rated eventually, but I still remember loving this movie. I, I think it's a great film. I think it's a lot of fun. I haven't seen it since the VHS days of, what, 88, 89? Yeah. Something like that, but I love the movie. I think it's I think it's I think it's got a style of its own. They attempted a pseudo sequel, Robot Warriors or something? Robot Wars. Yeah. Robot Wars, Wars. yeah. That was yeah. kind of... It was not a sequel. It had nothing to do with it, but they were building on the success of it. Mm -hmm. and it you know, was that what? the one with the scorpion, that robot scorpion? Yes. I never saw it. Oh, I, yes. I, uh, I can actually, I can actually <laughs> fill in some info if you don't mind. Is that this originally started out at Charles Band's Empire Pictures, mm. and it is not low budget. It was actually, well, for, not for them anyway. It was uh, their highest budget movie ever. It was, I think it was estimated as like ten million dollars back then. Yep, yep. It's estimated. And they went and they went bankrupt. Uh, Empire Pictures because of all their troubles, they basically overextended themselves with movies yeah. and everything. And they were filming every. They had the Dino De Laurentiis studios that they had adopted as their own, and they had basically overextended themselves. They went bankrupt while finishing the film, so it didn't come out. I knew the film was about to come out because I was a Charles Band fanboy ever since I saw uh, Laser Blast and Metal Storm as a kid. So I was always looking for anything from like Charles Band even as a kid. And I gave up hope of this ever being released, so I did, didn't see it at first. What I did do is I bought the novelization. Oh, right. I released the novelization of it, and I read the book. Wow. Before the movie, because eventually this uh, startup, uh, Epic Films, uh, which was kind of like Triumph Films, you know, which is one of those little mini majors that never quite made it, they bought the rights to the film so that they could finish the post production on it and gave it what they were trying to make a big release, but they could only really do a small release for it, and it made like a couple million dollars before going to VHS. Yeah, uh, I read the book, but I read the book two years before I was like lobbying for it, and when I finally saw that, it didn't come to Minnesota where I was, because back then a lot of things didn't come to Minnesota. <laughs> uh, it, 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 it's, it's a major market now, the Twin Cities. It wasn't back then, uh, so we often miss on these movies, so when I finally got to see it was when I saw the Big coming soon poster, Robot Jocks, in the grocery store's video store. I'm like, 
When is it coming out? And can I have that poster? I said, I, I, When's it coming out? And can I have that poster? They said they told me when it's coming out, and they said, yeah. <laughs> and good news, guys, if you haven't seen it, because Shout Factory is releasing it on D- on Blu-ray and DVD next year. Oh, yeah. okay. Yep. Is there a DVD release coming? I, I don't have Blu-ray yet. Oh, yeah. It's a it's a Scream Factory release, so probably both. Yeah. I, I tried to I tried to find my poster of Robot Jacks. I actually have a ro- a poster of Robot Jacks the, from the video store. Only one. Yeah. Side, only one side's trimmed because it was all crumpled and beat to hell. But it's still I still have it, and I I love that. It's shiny and glossy and. Yeah, yeah, Robot Jocks. Uh, Glenn, anything to add about Robot Jocks? <laughs> it's a film. Truth <laughs> <laughs> words have never been spoken. <laughs> oh, that's why we love you, Glenn. <laughs> so there you go, folks. You want some cheesy uh, pre-asylum fun. Uh, you want to check out uh, uh, Robot Jocks. It's still better than anything that <laughs> Robot Jocks, than Asylum has put out, really, because of I do like the Asylum, but, but yeah, it is. <laughs> as far as quality-wise, you're right. The budget on this film is insane for what it ended up making and doing, and it's sad. Well, because... you gotta think that you got to think that back then they didn't have... I mean, today they would make, you know have these CGI things that would probably look really good actually. Back then they didn't have that, so they said, well how do you how do you have a battle between two eight hundred foot tall robots? Well, you miniaturize the stuff. Sure. Yep. So everything was done in stop motion miniatures and it's something that even though he didn't get to release the film, yeah, Charles Band took those reins and did it uh, did uh, first crash and burn. Uh, in the early days of Full Moon, and then Robot Wars, which often gets called Robot Jocks too, but yeah, it has nothing to do. <laughs> <laughs> and and yeah, I love it too because of the concept. I mean, you got guys getting into robots, you know. And this is before your Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, before your other, you know. I mean, this really was a closest thing to like a live action, you know, robot film that. Live action Robotech, live action Gundam. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. was the closest thing that at least I was when I was a kid, when I was younger. I, you know, it's like, oh, I gotta see this, and I just, I loved it. I loved it for all of its cheesy moments and and big robots beating the crap out of each other. You know, uh, <laughs> the precursor, the precursor to Pacific Rim. Yeah, that's what <laughs> I was about to say. I was about just about to say that when they release it on DVD, they should the the Blu-ray or whatever next year. It, they should have the ads that says, we were Pacific Rim before it was cool. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, folks, uh, this is just a scratching the surface of a post-apocalyptic film that came out in the 80s. I mean, that was the one of the main genres out there. It, you, you couldn't go into a video store and, and you could reach your hand out and just randomly point and especially in the sci-fi section, and you you guys would probably agree that you could probably touch a post-apocalyptic film by just closing your eyes in the sci-fi section and pointing somewhere. I mean, it was, it was a good time. <laughs> it, was a, it was a good time because you got a whole range of of production value and quality of film out of these uh, early filmmakers that some went on to actually do big 
huge things and yeah. you know while others stayed in obscurity so it, you know people pick on the low budget films but everybody's got to start somewhere and even some of the big names started somewhere and you know uh just remember that and so if you're interested hope you found this spoiler room interesting and made your list of post-apocalyptic films. Ah, this is everything I had hoped for and more. You guys brought some great films tonight. Well, I, I have to say that growing up in the 80s where there was still that that somewhat of a, a threat of you know the whole U.S. and Russia actually pushing the button, that we had a nice escape from, from, the rea from the reality of nuclear war by watching movies about the world after nuclear war. It did. It, it, <laughs> it, our great escape... As bad as these films, as bad as these films were, they gave people a slim amount of hope that humanity would survive in some way, shape, or form, even if it was the most grotesque form. <laughs> except, was, except the day after. Except the day except after. Except the day yeah. after. Dead man walk. Yeah. The. Yeah. I mean, it's so hard to tell tell people that the the younger people like when I grew up, it was such a paranoid time between oh. the Cold War and everything. I was growing up, and I was being told every day, like, so when the bomb drops, it wasn't even that right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, so when the bomb drops, here's what here's what you got to do. Like, I'm like, there's a two-step thing. I'm going to put my head between my legs and kiss my ass goodbye. That's it. <laughs> well, like, I mean, you... It was like a th foregone conclusion, like, they're going to nuke us, it's, uh, or we're going to wind up nuking ourselves. And... Uh, you did have that fear. You did have that fear, definitely. Yeah. So, do, you, do you think apocalyptic things are different now? I mean, yes. so what is yeah. it? Is it is it bio now? Is it? It's bio. It's uh. It's bio. It's uh, chemical warfare. It's uh, terrorism. It's a lot less black and white because back then, if you lived, you know, in, in the United States or you know, in I guess actually most anywhere, uh, aside from the Soviet Union or anything like that, you're idea was that you actually had a one place that this was going to probably come from. It was right. either going to come from this place or it was going to be an accident but from us. Now you have, you know, in this uh, it's a, I hate to even use the term, but because of the whole post 9-11 stuff, now people look at terrorists. Who's the latest group of crazies right. that's pop popping up? Uh, where's it going to come from? What's their ideology going to be? Is it going to be chemical warfare? Is it going to be terrorist attacks? We don't know. So if people have that fear, and honestly, I don't really think they need to, uh, it's not the same, guys. The, um, the it's, culture, uh, I, I, I don't think, I think back then in the 80s, not just because I grew up during that time, but the paranoia seeped into every crevice yes. of the culture. Here... You do have that worry. There is still that scare, but it hardly ever shows up in your pop culture. Where in the yeah. '80s, it was prevalent in the pop culture. The paranoia. Not only did you get it in your news and in your written work and even in comics, you got it in in movies and music videos. I mean, it yeah. took everybody a long time to realize '99 Luff Balloons was about <laughs> these. Nuclear war. Yeah. I mean, everybody's like, oh, 99 red balloons, Captain Kirk, oh, and then she's like, you know, this is about the bombs going off, right? That's <laughs> why it's about people mistaking balloon launches for for missiles, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, um, suddenly that whole that song takes a whole other dark turn for everyone. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's the, um, yeah, it, it, you're absolutely right, Mark. It's, 
and now it's an age of when they we talk about any kind of post-apocalyptic thing, it's like, well, it might happen. And often a lot of the people who are really beating the drums of that are either the people who are in policy or they're kind of like your Alex Joneses of the world and stuff well, like that yeah. where they're talking about, like, you know, get in your bunkers now, kids, you know. <laughs> uh, back then it had one definite focus, and like Mark said, it's it was everywhere. I mean, you couldn't escape it. Uh, and now there's not a d definite source of where it would come from. There's not a definite form of what it would take if it would happen. And honestly, it's not even close to being as certain that it would mm -hmm. happen. In fact, it's actually probably not going to happen. No. But back then, it was just all. It was just. It was just a weird, different time. It was. It was really freaking terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> Why? We all grew up in that time, and I think we can all agree that. At late at night, I mean, you had that paranoia, and that mm -hmm. worked its way into films, especially sci-fi. That was like the prominent. I mean, look at even freaking Star Trek. They mm -hmm. talk about the world getting nuked and what happened after everybody after World War Three. You know, I mean, it, that was everywhere. You got it in every place. And for me, one film that wasn't post-apocalyptic, but I'll bring it up, and I'm hoping other people have seen it. It was a film called Dreamscape. Yep. Mm -hmm. yeah, I actually just watched it last week for the That, that freaking movie scared the piss out of me. Yeah. yeah. That is a scary ass film. If you've ever watched it, uh, I mean, I'm glad you guys are nodding your head at it because for me, that. I remember watching that and getting scared to hell. And not just because the scary-ass snake guy in it. No, the, the... The, freaking the freaking nuclear war city imagery that they show after the bomb dropped was the most scary, realistic at the time feeling scenes that just, it was like... Holy shit! <laughs> you know? And then you saw that, and you then you saw that being played in films like also like the Dead Zone, uh, mm -hmm. Terminator, and stuff like that. All these things that all it really takes is either some kind of glitch or some nut bar who thinks that he's hearing voices from God or or thinks that he knows better mm -hmm. hit a button, you know, and it was like. Was ah! that, it like freaked us <laughs> out. No, no wonder we were all on freaking drugs and listening to metal. <laughs> no, wonder cocaine, no wonder cocaine was prevalent back then. <laughs> you, guys don't, you guys don't think that message is still around? I mean, shit, I, I just... Well, it is, but, from, but it's, um, not as focused, it's not as focused and ubiquitous, I don't think. I, I don't know, man. I just watched... I'm thinking of like a, a, even the t a terrible movie like The Colony... Which not only has the threat of it snowing eternally, but also has the threat of you sneeze. If you sneeze, you're immediately pushed off the encampment. And there are tons of movies. I, I don't know. I think these apocalypse are all similar, and they've all been similar for maybe 40 years now. I mean, the scenario changes from movie to movie. But I don't care if it's Free Jack or The Road Warrior. Or it's all the same thing. We are screwed if we don't, you know, if we don't get together and figure it out somehow. I mean, it, it, I don't know. That's my take on it. I don't see any difference from decade to decade to apocalypse themes. I mean, there are movies that cram them all in, like The Colony. Terrible film, but worth watching. It's on Netflix. Just for, you know, just see Bill Paxton and Lawrence Fishburne in one scene together talking about how they're going to 
save mankind. Um, or even, you know, uh, <laughs> the Interstellar, which we did just did a spoiler yeah. room on. Mm -hmm. uh, I yeah. don't know, man. I see these themes for the past 40 or 50 years, or even back to the original Twilight Zone episodes, really, to where something bad is coming, and uh, whether it's a plague or an eternal storm, we got to get our shit together. <laughs> yeah, you know, but I, I really... My only counter to that would be with... It was in our politics, it was in our music, it was in our everything, and it was like when the wall fell, we had like a short period of time where it was, I don't know, I kind of felt like we were in free fall in that particular mode. It was like, oh, we're not at war with the Russians anymore? Really? Whoa. Like, Wait, we didn't have to worry about this all this time? <laughs> what, do we, what now? What, what do we do now? And And that's exactly right. And I think that the tone is there, but I think in a lot of cases with with the movies, it's now more not maybe an active force or actively done by, you know, you look at like The Stand. Um, mm -hmm. That was science gone amok. Um, it, 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 it's still sort of there, but I think it's different. It was like the movies reflected what was going on in society, but it was just like, at a certain point, now it's like they're rehashing old ideas. <laughs> you know, I mean, we, we still, you know, the threat of terrorism constantly, blah, 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 whatever. But it's kind of there, but it's not like it used to be. It wasn't, I mean, it had been kind of fed to everybody for generations, literally, that the mm -hmm. Russians were going to come and, and take all our crap and hand it to everybody else and they're going to kill us all, whatever. Um, I, this, might, this might sound a little, I may be way off, but I'd love to hear your thoughts. What is it, would it be possibly that we just have a more cynical culture than we did in the 80s? <laughs> possibly? <laughs> yeah. Is that, is that too much? I mean, you, you know, yeah. because in the 80s, Really, I mean, growing up in it, not just because you're growing up, but just in general, the culture, there were the yuppies and that, but there was there was a lot of, I'd, maybe there wasn't, maybe I was off, uh, one of you could probably help it, it just seemed like there was a lot less cynicism in the general populace than there is now. Well, well our parents had, had been through the 60s, so... <laughs> You know, there was that, oh, we can accomplish everything if we can just pull together. And, you know, and now we've had 9-11. We've had, yeah. you know, multiple wars that we're still fighting. We're um, fighting amongst each other. I mean, we're fight I mean, there's a lot more inner turmoil, too, in the U.S., which, I mean, you yeah. had that before in the 80s, but with the one focus being on Russia, the entire country focused all of its, for lack of a better term, hatred Towards on the evil empire. Uh, one country, whether 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 they deserved it, bad government or no or not, yeah. <laughs> and we worked and we worked at being better than those guys. So we thought of ourselves as yeah. better than those guys. We're actually a good culture. We're a good country. Those guys suck. We rock. And yeah. after I think nine eleven, I don't know. Uh, Glenn, if you had any thoughts, am I off? I, I, after 9-11, that, I think that mentality changed to where, oh, yeah, we're not really a great nation, are we? Um. 
Oh, I I think that thought was already kind of there before nine eleven. Right. Well, then people. I think nine eleven says that. Oh my God, we're vulnerable. Yeah. yeah, we're vulnerable. We actually started to rally after nine eleven in a very in kind of a similarly, you know, way. Like you know, hey, we don't know. We never saw this coming. What do we do now? And unfortunately, there wasn't really that. It, it, yeah. it, 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 unfortunately, we kind of started seeing like through it a lot sooner. Well, not sure. unfortunately. And so it just was not the same, you know. Right. So now, now, so there was like a lot of rallying at the beginning, and then there was a lot of skepticism. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, up that. until that point, it was kind of a joke or the that far-fetched scenario. Right. And but, and it was kind of a fantasy sort of, and I think that's what you have those '80s apocalyptic films. Those were, uh, you know, I I don't think we get as many now because of the change in the culture and the mentality, I think. I think that had a direct effect on the type. And it affected horror movies. It affected everything. I mean, it was a major event in our nation's history, but that had such an effect on our, our pop culture. You know, uh, in a different way, though, I think, it, and maybe it's because we have more. We have more outlets for information now. Maybe if we had yeah. these same channels back then, we wouldn't have as much paranoia in the 80s and maybe not as many apocalyptic films uh, about it, you know, a, as popular because, you know, movie makers would realize, oh, oh yeah, they really don't kind of believe in that. They realized they Googled searched that and found out that was not, you know, a spy that was in Kansas for the <laughs> Russians. <laughs> That's another that. thing. Like, our, our, our entire information structure is different. We didn't have anything like the Internet or anything like that. Where we could scrutinize everything from both uh, genuine news sources and, uh, you know, well, and the Encyclopedia Britannica. Yeah, yeah <laughs> the Encyclopedia Britannica. That was eight like, years old when it got new to your yeah. library. It was already old. Yeah, <laughs> but that's all you had. But you, yeah. you had that one free volume. And nothing else. Yeah. <laughs> One free volume. And it was always an obscure letter, too. It wasn't anything you could use. It wasn't like you got volume letter A. No, you got, like, X. Like, <laughs> I, read Q, I read Q cover to cover. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the culture, I think, of the 80s is what helped spawn so many apocalyptic films, I think, even more so than we get them today. No, Cole, you're right. We do still get that theme today. I mean, there was Book of Eli a few years back. Yeah, that, but do you, know, you guys really think that 9-11 affects the the younger movie-going audience the way... Uh, I mean, it affects no, us? Not I, the, I don't not think the same way. are scared by that. No, I, 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 I think that... I, it, with them. I, I think... I mean, there's a movie that called Ouija that just came out that was hugely yeah. successful. Have you guys watched that thing? <laughs> I mean, I can't relate to it. That is on a, a level that is, again, like, I, I think that ap the apocalypse for, for a younger movie-going audience isn't going to be on the level it is for us. I think maybe we're sophisticated and older. We're older. I think maybe we're dating ourselves. I think that the true apocalypse in terms of cinema is the same as it's always been. I don't think that it's terrorists or 9-11 for the younger crowd. I really no. don't. 
That's a I don't think it is. I don't think it necessarily is either. I think, and I think it does kind of boil down to kids today. They don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, but the culture is different, though. I mean, it is, it is absolutely. I mean, look at I, I. I mentioned it. I talked to someone else before, and I, I know this is kind of going off, but it still relates. Look at your comedies. Look at your films. Look at your songs of the '80s, all geared towards the teenagers and teenage themed so much. I mean, we get some of that now, but it seemed more prevalent back then that it oh, was... Oh, the teenagers still love that shit, Mark. You know... They still love <laughs> that shit, Mark. I swear, that shit is prevalent, that fluffy brain garbage. <laughs> I work with teenagers, man. They don't listen to deep, dark music. <laughs> They've got that stuff. They really do. It exists. I mean, I I turned on the Pops 40 channel once and listened to the songs and listened to the lyrics. And yeah. I don't know, you know, you listen to the lyrics of the 80s. It was all about teenage rebellion, though, and about, you know, fighting oh. the system. And, you know, well, people were know. still angry about disco. So. <laughs> yeah. You know, but but they reflected in in the films of them, too, though, you know, uh, against the system, outrage, whatever. And I just don't feel that. I listen to the top 40, I see what the young teenage films are now, and they're, they are different, and it's just, it's a different culture, and it changes over generations. I admit it. Get off my lawn. Uh, but, <laughs> uh, but I, I think we all agree, even, even with that, even with our age and that, you look at the 80s apocalyptic films definitely had that recurring special theme to them that reflected paranoia that was in the culture at that time. I, I, I mean, that was prevalent throughout. You know, the, you get the apocalyptic film now, it still shows fears, like in Interstellar, of, of the global warming and, and or the change in climate, but you, you don't have, I think, that paranoia as well throughout the culture that we had in the 80s with that fear of the nuclear war, is what I'm saying. You know, you, you have smaller pockets of that. Mm-hmm. No, and it, I think it was just more prevalent, and that's why you just had the the sheer volume of post-apocalyptic films. And let me tell you, if you had a location that had sand dunes, you were going to get called by a filmmaker. <laughs> <laughs> So, it was I'm like if you had a it was like if you had a quarry in England, Doctor Who would be on the phone. <laughs> well, we'll have to continue this debate when the new Mad Max comes out. Maybe that yes. maybe it's successful. Uh, we can, it'll be that. tropical. It'll be tropical. We could definitely <laughs> we could definitely come back around and see how the new Mad Max uh, we could compare the new Mad Max versus the old one. That's the sound yeah. like. A, Sounds like a future spoiler room. Thank you, Cole. Uh, look for that when the new Mad Max comes out. We'll have to see how that holds up with its new translation versus what uh, we all remember and what the original was like. So I think we're going to wrap it up tonight, though, folks. Uh, so we're going to do like we always do in the spoiler room, give a chance for our guests here to tell you where you can find them when they're not babbling about movies here with me. Uh, Brad, go ahead first. I am nowhere. No, actually, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I work with a, a group of people, uh, galacticnutcasts.com. We've got a, a few shows, uh, Alien Invasion, where we talk about uh, aliens in cinema and uh, books and all sorts of stuff. Uh, we've also got the Sci-Fi Geeks Club, which uh, we 
usually interview somebody that uh, independent filmmaker or author or somebody somehow some way involved in sci-fi at some level and uh, we discuss uh, current topics and then uh, find out a little bit of what uh, our guest is doing so glidingnetcast.com uh, boom boom and there you go uh, Cole uh, how about you sir I'm on Facebook, um, Cole Meredith, or my production company is Shadows and Lovers uh, on Facebook, or Horror Roar, where I just goof around. But <laughs> as they always say, Facebook is free and, and movies are expensive, so uh, find go. me on Facebook, please. My, I can't afford a site. Horror <laughs> Roar is an excellent group. Everyone should check it out. If nothing else, for the uh, pictures that they post for the horror fan up there. Uh, uh, great Facebook group there. And uh, Glenn, sir, uh, Mr. Bittner, the big deal himself, please tell us where we can find you at. Call Google, you lazy bitches. Look me up. And I wonder why I have so few viewers. Uh, you, should, uh, you can find me on YouTube, uh, Naked Noble Productions with the movie Bunker. You can find me on Facebook, Naked Noble Productions, and uh, you follow me on Twitter for any up-to-date information I may give, at Naked Hobo. You should have that on a card, just your name. And when it says website, just put Google it, bitches. Good idea. Um, <laughs> and Paul, you, sir? <laughs> I'll be too busy Googling the rollerblader warriors taken by force. <laughs> but you can find me online. Yes. You can find me at uh, forsakenfilmreviews.wordpress.com. Excellent. And movieocrity, Mr. Scott Davis, go. You already said it. It's You can find me at movieocrity.com. That's where everything I'm going to write, uh, any podcast I'm going to do, any video episode I'm going to do, it's all going to be on there, movieocrity.com. You can also find me on Twitter at movieocrity and, you know, my actual let name on Facebook, okay? Just don't, you know, <laughs> spam me or anything like that. Because I'll get Look out, Goat Porn Monthly. It's going to be subscribed no. to you now. Oh, starting with the tame stuff, are we? <laughs> I like to ease them into it. <laughs> it reminds me of that. <laughs> and uh, as always, you can go to specialmarkproductions.com where you can find links to all these fantastic people's websites and blogs and such. And you can see my material, either uh, Final Cut reviews or these spoiler rooms, the past spoiler rooms. I've got a new link there called the Spoiler Room Archive where you can easily go to find all our older episodes. Or you can find us on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. If you do, please review and at least uh, rate the channel. We'd really appreciate it. I'd uh, like to see at least one rating up there. Thank you for all our new listeners who have come in. We got a, actually I saw it, uh, 53 listeners in uh, after our Interstellar one. So uh, we oh, could, wow, really? Uh, the Interstellar uh, Hangout got over 100 views. Now, no, wow. one, no one watched all of it, but at least they clicked <laughs> on it and, and showed a little interest in it, so, which we always appreciate. Uh, folks, thank you so much for listening to this. I hope you got some insight on some 80s apocalypse films. And until next time, remember, with the spoiler room, the conversation is fresh, but we do definitely spoil the movies. <laughs> <laughs>